commit the service again to God. So every head bowed, every eye closed. Lord, I just want to say thank you for another opportunity to preach. Lord, I thank you and I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will come in this service, that Holy Spirit, you will move and breathe, that you'll convict people's hearts, that every chain will be broken. And Lord, I say thank you. Holy Spirit, I decrease so that you may increase in this service. Lord, I give you praise and I give you glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Now, before I start and I go into my service, go into my sermon, I was just thinking and pondering this week, and this Elton John lyric came to me, I'm still standing. And I was like, okay, that's a bit weird, Elton John, but <laughs> I said, Lord, we'll go with it. And the fact that we're still here, that we're still standing, I just want many people have started, Lord. Because many people have started this year, but not many people made it to the seventh month of this year. I know one of my classmates back in primary school, we started together. He was a very smart guy. He was good at maths. He was good at science. But almost two years ago, this August, he passed away. Age of 17, life just gone like that. As I started year 13, my friend lost her sister. Age 15, life gone like that. But I just want to say thank you that we're still here, that we're still standing, that God has allowed us to make it to this day, to this moment. So my service, what I'm preaching on today is guard your heart. Now I want to start with the scripture, Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Now my parents gave it to me on a bracelet for my 18th birthday. I said, oh wow, you know, nice scripture. Well, the Lord was like, it's not just a nice scripture, it's something to ponder on. It's something to interpret. It's something to meditate upon. Now, these are Solomon's wise words, which emphasize the importance of the heart. But it can also be read as the war that goes on in the heart between light and darkness. It's, if light is in your heart, that's what will flow from it. If it's darkness, that's what will flow from it. Now, as I researched and I looked through the scriptures about the heart, I discovered that the heart beats about 100,000 times a day, 60 to 80 times a minute, equaling approximately 3 billion beats in a lifetime. And as I continued to research, I also discovered that in the King James Bible, there's 826 times where the heart is mentioned, whereas the brain is never mentioned once. Now, throughout periods of history, Writers and poets have different outlooks on the heart. We have Shakespeare from his 154 sonnets concerning love and the heart, to the idea of carpe diem by Horace, meaning to seize the day, to the metaphysical poets who had a philosophical outlook, to the decadent poets who believe that heart and love is a commodity and something to be bargained with. So this evening, I challenge each and every one of you concerning the state of your heart. Is it near to God? Is it far from God? Is the Lord truly on the throne of your heart? Or is the world on the throne of your heart? Now, um, as I was also preparing for this, the Lord brought back to me when I was overcoming unforgiveness in my heart concerning the bullying that happened to me. I battled with it for years. I battled with unforgiveness. And I finally got to a point where I was like, you know what, I've forgiven her. 
what she did to me. But the Lord was like, you know what, I really want to challenge that. I want you to pray for her every day. And when you walk past the house on the way to school, I want you to bless her house. I said, Lord, we're going a bit too far there. Uh, you know, it's nice, I've forgiven her. But he was like, that's how I know that I truly conquered unforgiveness in your heart. Now, the first scripture we're going to look at today is Ephesians 4, 17 to 22, and then we'll skip to the end, 30 to 32. So you can look at it on your phone if you want. There are Bibles over there. And this is what Paul says to the Ephesians. So I tell you this and insist on it. The Lord that you... And insist on it. In it that the Lord that you might... You must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and that they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you have learned. When you heard about Christ and were taught in him accord, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off yourself, which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now, 30 to 32. And do not grieve the Holy, the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God, as Christ God forgave you. Now, as I was reading the scripture, it showed me that the enemy has power in the hearts of the people in the world, but also it shows his plan against us as believers. Now, Paul starts this scripture, this part of scripture, by challenging us not to be like the rest of the world. You should no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened and separated from the life of God due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, this ultimately portrays the ramifications of a godless life as we look at the way Paul describes them, from futility to darkened to separated to hardening, as well as showing the abandoning of the heart to the ways of the world. Now, Paul continues to describe the Gentiles as those who, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to the sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are so full of greed. Now, this shows a lack of feeling in the heart, but also, I guess, the corrosion of the heart by f feeding on the things that displease God. However, despite all Paul has observed in the earlier part of the scripture, he addresses us by saying, this is not the way of life you have learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him. And in verse 22 it says, You were taught with regards to your former way of life to put off your old self which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. Now this shows that there's a sense of hope because despite Paul's warnings about what's happening in worldly hearts, that our hearts are anchored in Jesus and we have new hearts as we're rid of the former way of life. Now, in verse 30 to 33, it represents all the different weapons in the enemy's armory to turn our hearts against God. Bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander. 
But Paul reminds us to be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ forgave you. Now, as I was looking at it, it was quite interesting that forgiveness was last. Like, why didn't he put it somewhere else? But this kind of suggested to me that this is perhaps the most poignant weapon that the enemy uses against us as unbelievers. I mean, as believers, which is the act of unforgiveness. That when we harbor it in our hearts, it cuts us off from God. Now, as I was also, as I was looking through this, I was reminded of a book I read called Anna Karenina. Now, this was my dive into Russian literature during my summer, 806 pages, but it was, it was worth it. Now, at the start of the book, it says a quote, which it says, vengeance is mine, I shall repay says whoa I was like I thought this was a romantic you know little story I didn't realize but that is something that I could have potentially missed but the Lord brought it to my attention and I said Lord why would you bring this particular part to my attention and he was like because these are the things that we can secretly harbor in our hearts we may not say it openly but deep down these are the things that our heart can give into now, the second scripture is John chapter 10, verses 7 to 10. And it says this, Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pastures. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, before we get to these verses, in verses 1 to 6, we just see Jesus talking to the people and the Pharisees using the illustration of the shepherd. Now, in verse 7, it says, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. So this suggests that Jesus is our God concerning our heart, that not anyone can just have access to a sheep. But Jesus also talks about the attempts to access us. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. In verse 10, we've all heard this scripture at some point or another. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now here's a clear outline of the enemy's agenda. Three things, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But the description of him as a thief was quite interesting. Not, it wasn't a robber, which highlights that his agenda to gain access to our life, to our heart, is not overt like a robber. He uses violence. But the enemy is subtle and silent in gaining access to our heart. So my question is, where have we allowed the enemy to take over? Is it through the things we watch, like series? Is it what we listen to? Because through that, that is attacking our senses. That is causing distraction. But then also, is it the desire for power, for money, for material goods that we are allowing to consume our heart? Now, as I was pondering on this scripture again, it reminded me of when I first started university. Um, I was meant to join the Christian society. That's what everyone was saying. Join the Christian society. Join the Christian society. But as I went to one of the first meetings, I realized 
their ways were not aligned with the ways of God. And that is one way that the enemy could have come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. All that I'd learned could have just gone like that. But then also another way that he tried to come to steal, to kill, and to destroy initially in my first semester was in seminars I realized, you know, in secondary school it's quite diverse. You have people from different backgrounds, different races. But as I came to my seminar, I realized, oh wow, like I'm the only person of ethnic minority here. All the rest are white people. And so the Lord was like, I didn't tell you to focus on that. I brought you here for a reason. And this is just another tactic of the enemy, to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Now throughout the Bible, we have seen instances of this, the enemy coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and to attack the heart. But the first instance was in the Garden of Eden, where he managed to corrupt Adam and Eve's heart. But the only reason he was able to do this was because his heart was already corrupted. Because in before the fall, we see him as Lucifer, as the person who was in charge of the worship until that turned, until he wanted some of that worship for himself. Now in the Garden of Eden, Eve's heart is perverted towards the desire for knowledge. Because initially he asks Eve in Genesis 3, did God really tell you not to eat the fruit from the tree in the garden? But when Eve explains the consequences, the devil just replies, that's not true. You will not die because he knows when you'll eat, you'll be like God. Now, when revealing the scripture to me, the Lord used Milton's Paradise Lost. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it was something that I studied in my first year that really opened up the Garden of Eden to me. Because Milton writes, when she ate the forbidden fruit, he says, she plucked, she ate. Earth felt the wound nature from her seat sighing. Now there are seemingly small acts in paradise. The repercussions of what Eve did, of leaving her heart unguarded, has rippled throughout generations and it still affects us today in the 21st century in different ways. But Milton also describes when Adam partook of the fruit as them being with new wine, intoxicated, swimming in mirth and fancy. Now what initially seemed good in the Garden of Eden became corrosive. As Milton describes their overwhelming emotions, they sat them down to weep. Not only tears rained their eyes, but high winds worse within them began to rise. High passions, anger, hate, mistrust, suspicion, discord, and shook saw their inward state of mind. Calm region once and full of peace, now tossed and turbulent. I thought, wow, what a powerful, what a powerful quote. But it just shows that they ended up with burdens God hadn't designed for them to carry. All those emotions that they dealt with. Calm region once and full of peace, now tossed and turbulent. But that also showed me what paradises are we losing? What battles are we losing because our hearts aren't aligned with God? Now, as I come to the end, I want to say that no one is exempt from the attempt on their heart. And we shouldn't get prideful and arrogant, believing that we're untouchable, that we can deal with the enemy in our own strength. But we have to ensure we, we guard it as we go back to what Solomon said in Proverbs 4.23. 
that above all else we shall guard our heart for everything we do flows from it. Now, as we ensure the guarding of our heart, what we need to do is seek God and allow him to reveal where we've gone astray. We do this by reading and listening to the word of God. We need to do this by also wearing the armor. As I looked at the breastplate of righteousness, it reminded me like that's where all the vital organs are. Your heart is under the breastplate of righteousness. Your lungs, all of those vital organs are under there. But the most important thing is that God has given us the authority to do this, to guard our heart. As it says in Luke 10:19, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and serpents and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. Now, as I close the sermon, I just want to pray again. Lord, as I close the sermon, I give you all the praise and all the glory. Lord, I ask that you give us the strength and the power to combat the opposition to our hearts, whatever form it may come in. Lord, I pray that we will give our hearts wholeheartedly to you, and the things of this world and the weapons from the enemy shall not prosper. In Jesus' name, amen.